or something, you know. I'll retweet. Um, I don't know how to do that, but <laughs> I wrote, "Oh, a treehouse is just about the biggest insult to a tree." Hey, I killed your friend. Hold him. <laughs> Welcome to Mr. Radical, where we take a theoretical approach to solving mysteries. So pack your can have it yad, even though you can't actually do that, and join us for this week's Mr. Radical, the Boston Art Heist. Now I just want to do the whole thing in an accent. <laughs> no, that's too difficult. I mean, so my I can uncle do it, actually. is, I have cousin, a cousin and uh, my aunt lives in Boston, and my uncle, of course, um, but my uncle has like this, this really thick, strong Boston accent. And so we would always like make him say things when we went to go visit. Betsy, enough. Daddy loves you. <laughs> um, we would always make him say things like, she's going to do it again. Um, <laughs> okay. Like uh, yellow car. Yeah. Khakis. The khakis. Yeah. Stuff like that. So that specific accent is like South Boston. And there is like a mass accent that's not as thick. But the the accent that we think of that's like Mark Wahlberg and Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and stuff, that's Southie. It's like a very specific. So between those three, Mary Fucker Kill. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, None. What was it? Matt Damon, <laughs> Matt Affleck. Damon, Ben Affleck, and Mark Wahlberg. Okay. Ugh. <laughs> Don't. I think can I, I know make, mine. Can I make Mark Wahlberg younger? <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely. He would not Boogie Nights days because that's just too no, young. No, like Calvin Klein days. Yeah. Yep. When he was like getting into trouble. <laughs> so that... So that would be your fuck. Mm-hmm. I would marry Matt Damon and Me I too. would kill Ben Affleck. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> sorry for that sidebar. That's okay. <laughs> sorry, Mark. You had to be young. Mac. Yeah. Mackie Wahlberg. Anyway, <laughs> I could do the Boston accent and do this whole thing. But I, I do go into like New York a little bit <laughs> sometimes, which yeah. I know a lot of people can't even hear the difference, but I do. So I'll be like, damn it, that's wrong. Because <laughs> in college, I lived with two girls. I lived with in a condo my senior year. And my three roommates, one was from Long Island, but she didn't have like a Long Island accent. She just sounded normal. Um, yeah. And then the other one had like, the other two had like South Boston accents and I was like please don't pick up their accents because I'm really I do that like if I visit my cousin my aunt in Texas I'll like sometimes have things will come out with like a little bit of a draw (laughs) I won't mean to yeah I was like please don't you're living with them for a year so don't pick up idea or draw or like cat an r in any word that doesn't have an r in it that's the one idea warsh i hate warsh idea is the one drives me that franz does i'll do it like i'll do it as a joke but i saw (laughs) not to bring up matt damon again but i saw him doing like an interview one time and he was saying yeah. when you say ma, because they say ma, I called my mom ma. Yeah. Because I had older siblings that were bratty, so they called her ma. So that's like all I heard. But Yeah, I'll do it sometimes <laughs> to annoy my mom. Oh, we used to do it like sheep to annoy my mom. <laughs> mm-hmm. But Matt Damon like was Stewie like. Like Stewie from the family guy. But we'd be like yeah. ma. <laughs> <laughs> She'd be like, shut up. Um. He was like, if you say is ma down is ma downstairs. So if it's like the word and then a consonant, it's ma. But if you say it with a like if the next word starts with a vowel, it's mar. Is mar upstairs or is ma downstairs? Oh uh, yeah. So I was like, oh, I hate that. I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> oh well. I just like I fuck you, dude. That. That's my favorite. I could say that forever. <laughs> yeah. Fuck you. 
Um, so voting. Voting. That's all, yeah. I guess. Vote yeah. today. Get out last and take, day. Get out. What is it? Get out and make the vote or get out and vote. There's like a phrase. Get out. Get out. <laughs> get out. Get out the vote. Oh, yeah. It is get out the vote. Get out the vote? Yeah. Get out the vote. Okay. Um, okay. So get out the vote or getting out the vote. GOTV for short. Nice. Um, describes efforts aimed at increasing the voter turnout in elections. Yeah. So get out the vote, y'all. Yeah. See your last day. So go to your polling place. If you didn't do your mail in ballot or whatever, go drop it. Yeah. Wear your mask. Go out to your polling local polling station. Yep. Vote. And then get your sticker and tag us in your sticker picture. Yes. And we'll repost them. Mm-hmm. I'll have to do mine. I'm doing an absentee one before this gets posted, but I don't know where mine's at. So I might have to go in. I don't know how to vote for a lot of things. <laughs> like uh, I don't like reading through all the props and stuff. Yeah, like I was well, like, I don't note, know how I vote feel. Now on 22. Is that true? Yes. It's a scam. And Uber. I know the yes is a scam. But yes. Voting yeah. no on Prop 22 is the way to go because that's what um, the drivers want. Yes. So we want to benefit them since they are the people actually working. Right. Voting yes is uh, beneficial to the company. It's not beneficial to the driver. It's beneficial to the companies. Right. Yeah, because it gets rid of their freedom to be independent contractors. Correct. But um, I was an independent contractor for a really long time, and I really enjoyed it because I got to write every single thing off. Oh, I've written off um, hair elastics, bobby pins, everything. iPod. Everything. For teaching, anything, shoes, tights, leggings. Yeah. With being an employee and working from home, like I can't write anything off. I yeah. can't write off the percentage of my home that I work in. I can't do any of that because I'm an employee, not an independent contractor. Yeah. Um, alrighty. The Boston art heist. I grew up in New England. I've never heard of this until recently. And I've never been to this museum. I've been to a lot of Boston museums. And I've never been to this one. I've never even heard That's of it. That's insane. I can't believe that because I, I mean, I grew up in Pennsylvania, which is not a part of New England, surprisingly. It's close. But it's close. Um, but I heard about it, but only like, obviously years after. It yeah. was like, probably in my 20s, I heard about it for the first time, um, but didn't really know too much about it. And then I think I really got into it like, a couple of years ago when I heard it. Yeah. I like listened to the full story and was like, oh my God. Yeah, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think it's because uh, I grew up going to the Boston Science Museum, the Fine Arts Museum. Like I went to all of them. Yeah. The Where the Boston But Massacre did you ever go was. to this one? I've never even, I heard of it recently because I have friends in the Boston community that are in the dance community that are like doing a show there. Or like a showcase oh. or filming or something. And I was like, that's yeah. crazy that now that's the first time I'm ever hearing of it, which is strange yeah. to me. Um, I'm going to do a quick little report on the woman herself, Isabella Stewart Gardner. Yeah. Isabella Stewart Gardner was born on April 14th, 1840 in NYC. So she was an Aries. She came from a well-to-do family and even finished her schooling in Paris. And then one of her schoolmates' brother is ended up being her husband, and his last name was Gardner. So Wait, it's Isabella Stewart. Not ancestral, right? No. Okay, <laughs> I was confused. One of Gardner her boyfriend's is her brother? married name. Okay. So she's Isabella Stewart, and then she married I forget his Got name, it. John Gardner or James Gar whatever, and Mr. that was Mr. Gardner. Her. Yeah, Mr. Gardner. <laughs> he wasn't a Gardner. <laughs> he was just Mr. Gardner. So, did you know that like last names came from your occupation? Yep. My and I have um uh my grandmother's maiden name was Smith, which I was like I'm never going to be able to track anything down, but that's why. No. But I was like that yeah. means 
somebody was a blacksmith. <laughs> was a blacksmith, yeah. Yep. Ours was so ours, I don't my last name was Rich and I was always like, what is like Were you rich? Was your family rich? <laughs> no. <laughs> Not in any sense of the word. <laughs> well now I'm wondering what my last name is because my last name is well my last name is made up because my great-grandfather was running from the war Mm. from austria-hungaria yeah and then he fought in world war one and world war two which i thought was funny (laughs) that is funny my grandpa um was the doctor in world war two oh that's cool yeah my grandfather built boats Oh. He, was a, he was the chief of the fire department. Not for oh, World cool. War II, just in life. <laughs> yeah, just in life. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So they had, I did this very briefly. This is just like, if the front of books still had synopsises or the back of books, this is what would be on it. <laughs> yeah. Her, they had a two-year-old son that died of pneumonia. Mm. And her, she was very depressed. So her doctor prescribed traveling to help her deal with it, to like take her mind off of it or whatever i don't know it's the it's the 1800s (laughs) um she kept meticulous journals of her travels which were to europe russia egypt to the middle east and asia because rich people (laughs) yeah must be nice no matter how far she traveled she was always pulled to boston and cambridge for their intellect and she even joined the dante society and started collecting rare books and the manuscripts and early manuscripts, including some early editions of Dante's books. I wonder how much those are worth now. Ugh, an incredible amount. Probably a, a lot. <laughs> yeah. In 1884, she and her husband went to a Venetian palace owned by some wealthy Bostonians that they knew that was in Venice called the Palazzo Barbero. I didn't roll my R's enough. Palazzo Barbero. Barbero. I don't know been a minute since I took Italian. The Palazzo was the major inspiration for Isabella in creating her Boston Museum. And she had a very, very strong love for the arts. So the museum itself, she considered it a gift to the Boston people. um, And it was styled like a Venetian manor. So that was like where the inspiration came from. When you walk in, there's a large courtyard, there's gardens. There's even a cool feature in the atrium where there is an indoor facade, which when the sun hits it, it looks like water reflecting on the walls. Like it would be in Venice when the sun hits the water, Uh, which I thought was cool. She was even hands-on in the building. She would bring her little dinner pail. And at one point there were some beams that weren't the right size to her liking. Beams. 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 B-E-A-M as in murder. (laughs) S. <laughs> Not beans as in black beans. No, black eyed <laughs> peas beans. Um, beans. But they weren't the size she requested. So she literally took an axe and chopped them till they were the right size. Like she was beyond hands on. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is cool. Her. It was like her baby. Yeah. Right. So it opened on January 1st, 1903. And it was a celebration of music, art, and horticulture because of the gardens and stuff. And it was a house of visual and performing arts. They still hold, well, COVID, so I don't know how to what yeah. degree, but they still hold concerts and like little live performance type things um, in the yeah. museum. She died in- your new collar. <laughs> you good? That's a brat. Yeah, Gertie's just being a brat. Okay. I'm sorry if I stirred up trouble. <laughs> <laughs> no it's all my cat smell no. <laughs> even my cat when i came home he like meowed and came up to me and then he was like sniffing my arm for a good like 10 minutes yeah and I, was like, I smell like dog i know i'm a traitor yeah it's okay uh let's see where was it oh isabella stewart died in 1924 which is the year my grandmother was born crazy oh leaving the museum for the education and enjoyment of the public forever. With 2,500 works from the Renaissance to Impressionism, it's said that the museum itself is um, very beautiful, but it's a little stuffy because it's like smaller rooms mm-hmm. and there's just so much in them that it's um, 
a little a little claustrophobic. Yeah. Her will stated that her work slash museum is to stay the way it was. Nothing added, nothing taken away. No AC. No AC. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's Boston. No one really has AC anyway. For the two months out of the year that it's warm. Warm. But what about like a heater or something? Like, do they have a coal furnace? I mean, they. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure that stuff has been updated. Is that okay? I don't know. <laughs> I think she meant like the aesthetic part of it, not the hey, if yeah. the building falls apart, you have to leave it like that. Yeah, just leave it. All the leave plants the are dead. Then, please. All the plants are dead. They just let them rot. <laughs> mm-hmm. The empty frames where the stolen art once sat remain empty to this day. Which it's been 30 years. Really? Because mm-hmm. they're still hoping that the art gets returned. Girl. I know. I was like, that's cool though, because you go in. It's cool. And there's empty like, frames. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have an issue with it? I mean, I'm just saying, are they charging the same price <laughs> for they you to go in and look at it? I mean, there's other, they didn't take, they only took like 13 things. They didn't take a ton. Okay. Still though. Yeah. I would like, I'd like a 13% discount on tickets <laughs> moving forward since not everything is there. We'll make sure they know that. <laughs> Do they add any art in or is it just always like the same They're stuff? not buying okay, so or. need to go there once yeah. I'm done. Yep. Got it. Um, well, you can go for concerts and stuff. Oh, true. Yeah. That's the stuff you can go over and over for is the, let's not dim, dump their sales down <laughs> saying you only have to go once. <laughs> 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 okay. So the crime itself. On March 17th, 1990. I wasn't born yet. I was. Good old St. Patrick's Day in Boston. You're an 80s baby. Yep. Unless you're seven, from the 70s. No. <laughs> I just didn't know that you were 50. No. Can you believe I'm... that the 70s was that long ago? Yeah. That's it's crazy. gross. I still think <laughs> of it as 30 years ago, but 30 years ago is the 90s. Yeah. Way wrong. Way off. I don't like it. So it's St. Patrick's Day in Boston, which St. Patrick's Day is pretty big in Boston because it's full of Irish Americans. Yeah. And, um, they just party hard. <laughs> yeah. Lots of beer. Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum was, became the victim of the world's biggest art heist in modern history. It's crazy. There were two night guards. One guard was doing rounds, and the other sat at the security desk, and he was watching the CCTV. And he was at, I wrote CCTV at the main entrance, but he was sitting at the main entrance watching CCTV. Okay. At 1.20 a.m., two men dressed in Boston Police Department outfits approached the side entrance. They spoke with the guard sitting at the desk through the intercom. And the men told the guard about a disturbance on the museum grounds, which needed to be investigated. Which is possible for him to not hear something because there's gardens and the courtyard and stuff. So if something happened like outside on the grounds, he might not have heard it or known it. It's possible. Yeah. At 1.24, the guard buzzed the men in through two locked set of doors. And immediately, the police officers told the guard to call the other one off of his patrol. This action of him calling for the other guard took him away from the panic button. And it's the 90s, so there's no cell phones or maybe a beeper. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. The police officers, their plan worked. They escorted the guards to the basement, bound them with duct tape, and tied them to separate posts. And then 20 minutes has passed since they came in. It's 1.48. Well, 28 minutes, whatever. The men headed to the Dutch room first. It's on the second floor. And then the short gallery, which was above the main entrance. They dashed around between galleries. So it wasn't like they went in one room, took the art that they wanted. They kept going like in between. Okay. They broke and cut the images out of their frames, which anyone that knows anything about art knows that that's like a huge, the restoration process that goes into it. It's 
ridiculous. So it's, it's like a rough way to remove the art. They tried to remove Rembrandt's self-portrait, but it proved too difficult. And the men were dashing about the galleries for an hour. So with the guards having no access to police, basically once they tied them up, they were free to do whatever they wanted for however long. Because there was no way for anyone to tell anybody. Right. They returned to the desk once they were done. They checked the guards to make sure that they were still alive so they're not murderers. So that's yeah. nice. And then they sense. removed the tape, the security tape of them at the side door. And they thought they removed the because there's motion sensors set in all the galleries. So you can tell mm-hmm. when people walk in and out. They took like the printed out copy of it, but they didn't realize that it was also saved onto a hard disk. Which when it said that, I was like, oh, disk. And I was like, nope, it's probably a floppy. <laughs> Just yeah. the 90s. And then they... Or a video, like VHS. Right. Well, I think it was just of their movements. It wasn't a recording of them physically doing it. It was just, they're in this gallery. They're in this gallery. Yeah. At 2.41 a.m., so this is an hour and a half, they escaped by making two trips from the side door to a car. And the guards and robbery were not found until the day shift came in at 8 a.m. that morning. Oh, my God. So they had, like, all night. They could have taken everything from the whole. Mm-hmm. They didn't. They could have spent more time on the Rembrandt. Right? Well, I mean, it's not worth. Even though they were rough with how they removed things, it's not like it was worth going to be worth it if they destroyed it. You know yeah. what I mean? It's not going to be worth what it should be for them to sell or whatever they want to do with it. Um, So once the day shift came in, they immediately contacted the Boston PD and the FBI. So what was taken and what was left? Among the artwork taken from the museum was a charcoal series and La Sortie du Passage, or Leaving the Paddock, by Edgar Degas, who's my favorite. But it's not like a noted, it's not like art that you would, the charcoal is not art that you would recognize unless you were super into art. Yeah. Mayonnaise Che Totori. I don't know how to pronounce that because Che is French and Totori is Italian. So I don't know if I should pronounce it Italian or French. Flanks Landscape with an Obelisk, which who names these? Anyway, four works by Rembrandt, including Lady and Gentleman in Black, a small sketching of a self-portrait and the Christ on the Storm. No. Christ in the Storm on the Sea of Galilee, which is Rembrandt's only seascape, like known seascape at least. They also stole The Concert by Vermeer, which is one of his only known 32 works. Uh... It's, yeah. They also stole an eagle finial, which I did have to look up what that is. I think it was on a frame or a flag, like the thing that goes on the top of a flag that's the little eagle. Right. Okay. Like a flagpole. Yeah. I don't know if it was on a flag or if it was on, I think it was on a frame, like in the center. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like decoration. Yeah. And they also took an ancient Chinese goo from the 12th century, which I think is a, it's like a vase. It's pottery. Yeah. And since the artwork was to be left in the museum as it was, like I told you, when Isabella died, the frames were left and none of the pieces were insured for theft. So they had no insurance for any of this. They did leave behind some evidence. Um, What they know is they were not sophisticated art thieves. The Vermeer and Manet literally were ripped out of their frames. Wow. There were also several paintings that were more valuable (laughs) throughout. throughout. They didn't steal like the most valuable. Um, Mm -hmm. Titian's The Rape of Europa was on the third floor where their motion detectors never went off. Titian's piece was bought originally for $100,000 in 1896, which is worth $25 million today. And Damn. they just didn't even, didn't even go up there. No. Um, the FBI searched meticulously for evidence. They found palm prints, semi-palm print, fingerprints, But all in all, there was no real clues because people did take the photos down or or 
you know, touch the frames or whatever. And they also found um, like chips of the art, like the paint where it broke or came off. Mm -hmm. horrible. They also had the hard disk with their movements throughout the museum. That's why they know where they went and when. And they had eyewitnesses, the guards, because the guards yeah. lived. So they made sketches. One man was slim, late 30s. He was five foot nine and had gold wire glasses. And the second man was in his early 20s, taller with chubby cheeks. Both had fake mustaches, which I just think is why. Typical, yeah. It's like typical they, no one thinks they're real. <laughs> like they're going to look fake. And a team of 50 FBI agents slowly canceled people out. That's the crime. The rest of it's all theories. All the wow. theories. So feel free to chime in with any thoughts. They didn't have... So the evidence was only just a few palm prints. And then, like, their motions. There's no way to know if they were the thieves or not. Which I don't fully understand because... The only people who should be touching the art are the people that are restoring or cleaning. Yeah. So it's like, can't you run all of their prints and stuff and roll the them system? out? Yeah. But even then, like, what if the cleaners were the ones that did it? You know? Right. Yeah, I don't know. But it's not. They made it sound like it could be anybody that came to the museum, and it's like, but you're not supposed to touch any or even go near. You're not supposed to breathe on it, like. And it sounds like it was very sporadic. Like they didn't care what they took as long as they took something. Um, because all of it's valuable, you know? So they're like, let's just grab what we can and go. Yeah, because art, art will always be valuable. Okay. You good? Okay. <laughs> so immediately the guards were under scrutiny, obviously. Yeah. They were college students. They were studying music. I don't think they said where. I'm going to assume Berkeley, but who knows. They were said to smoke weed in and around the museum because they worked third shift. No one was around. I mean, who cares? <laughs> I would be pissed if my art museum smelled like weed, but if you're outside, whatever. Yeah, but I mean, like, if you're outside... Okay, so the shitty part is if you're hiring college students to get something done. You have to anticipate a certain level, you know? So, it's not like they had the best security. Right. Yeah. They, I think they, uh, one of the documentaries I watched talked about that. They were like, they didn't, if that's who you're hiring, they're not going to do the best job. No. And I mean, it's nothing bad on them or anything. Or No. If your kid's just trying to make your way through college, that's, what you are. There's nothing right. wrong with that. We've all been there. Well, most people have been there. I wish I wasn't there. <laughs> I have a lot of loans. So I don't like paying. Um, it is believed that they just made an unfortunate misjudgment, a $500 million unfortunate misjudgment. Yeah. They could give descriptions of the men. I personally don't believe it was the guards. Um, so I didn't dive too hard into it, but like the documentary talks about it and maybe the guard knew. And I think there was something about the guard had let someone in earlier that night, but it ended up being the head of security. Like there was a Tate, like a guy showed up in, at like 12 and he let him in, but I think it was just the head of security. I don't think it really their happened. boss or whatever. Yeah. Checking in or whatever. Um, so some suspects. Miles Connor was a notorious Bostonian art thief. He was known to dress up as a police officer during robberies. Connor, Connor had participated in 30 art robberies. And in Boston? And other stuff. I think just around that area. Okay. Not. The Northeast. Yeah. During the heist in 1990, Connor was serving time in federal prison in Chicago. We'll get back to him. William Youngworth III was a small-time criminal who immediately questioned the thief's professionalism. He, I think he was a, like a shady antiques dealer <laughs> is his. Yeah. So he had respect for the art too. He wasn't just in whatever he was doing for the money. He respected 
what the pieces were and knew what they were worth and all that. He was a, an associate at the time, he's not anymore, of Miles Connor. He was also in prison during the robbery. We'll get back to him too. There was a letter four years after the robbery in April of 1994 requesting a deal. They asked the museum to respond in the Boston Globe, Boston Sunday Globe on May 1st, like with a, they directed them a special way to say they're interested in making contact or whatever. So they complied, the museum complied, and the writer wrote back a week or two later. But due to the undercover work that the FBI was doing to figure out the author of this letter, the author stopped writing and the, he mm -hmm. was never, he, she was never heard from again. So they almost had it, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. So let's go back to Connor and Youngworth. Connor admitted to planning to rob the Gardner Museum. He even cased it and had a blueprint layout of the museum. I think that was in the 80s. With all of these art thieves around or art robbers around, I'm sorry, but they should have invested in better security. Mm -hmm. They know. I mean, it's just a waiting game. Yeah. Because, I mean, you have all of this, like, artwork worth a lot of money. Like, that whole building is worth so much money. And yeah. you don't have a security plan in place or, like, a... Like a, a solid one? Right. Yeah. I bet it was, like, those people that, you know, they're like, in this neighborhood, we don't lock our doors. And then something bad happens. You know what I mean? Especially, yeah. And it's, it's like, especially knowing that people were dressing up as cops. Like, you should have trained your security so much better mm -hmm. to recognize, okay, this is a cop asking me to do something. Let me call, the, you know, the, the police. police station. Or let me call someone to, like, make sure that this is legitimate. You know, like, have those in place, those, those processes in yeah. place so that you're not screwed like this. So to me, like, I'm, I, I see a lot of red flags, especially with the head of security coming, like, the night of, you know. I don't know if that was abnormal, but like maybe he was making sure, okay, this is what's happening. Yeah. Or this is what's said. Anyway, go ahead. Crazy. <laughs> no, I agree though. It's a good point. It's like, if you know that they're all, Boston's not a huge city. No. So it's just very tight. Everything's like smushed together. Yeah. So way after the robbery, he did claim he even claimed, so Connor even claimed that his crew was hired for the robbery in 1990, even though he wasn't physically involved because he was in prison. So maybe it was his people that did it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. In 1996, the statute of limitations was up. So no one can be charged with the crime at this point. Even now, they just want the art back. They're like, dude, whatever. We're not, you're not going to get in trouble. We just want the art back. Right. Um, so that's out there for you. If you're the person that has it, you won't get in trouble. Just give it back. <laughs> yeah. So returning. So that was Connor returning to Youngworth in 1997. There was a reward for $5 million. So Youngworth started to help. Although the documentary I said said he didn't ask for any money. Some articles I read said he did. Um, he clearly states that he knew that the museum doesn't have $5 million to reward anybody. So, I mean, they do if they sell off one of those paintings. I mean, yeah, but that's... <laughs> they're not supposed to. <laughs> well, to gain back 13 others. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, nevertheless, in 97, he offered his services to the FBI as a go-between to try and get 11 of the 13 stolen paintings back. He, like, claimed that he knew where they were. Uh -huh. He believed that the thieves were not professional art thieves due to a list of reasons. Their choice of paintings, because, like I said, there was more mm -hmm. valuable ones. The brutality of the removals, because it's horrible and you're literally damaging something that could never be replaced. They only stole pieces they could physically reach. So they didn't steal anything that was up high or too heavy or, and I think yeah. they, I think they ripped things out of their frames because the frames are too bulky and big to 
travel with. They needed to make the painting small and easy to move with. They had a floor plan, so they were criminals and they kind of knew what they were doing. It was just the art part that was new to them. Youngworth requested a blanket of amnesty for his assistants so that he couldn't be charged with any crimes committed at the Gardner. Mm-hmm. So even though he didn't ask for money, he was looking for, I'll help you, but you can't charge me anything. Right. He's looking for something in return. Mm-hmm. The FBI refused, but they found a middle ground by using the press in the Boston Herald. So it was all set up. There was a reporter who worked with Miles Connor and Youngworth, not in, not in their criminal whatever, but to specifically for this reason. Youngworth, I believe, is the one that set up the whole thing. And he claimed that he could prove that the paintings were safe and that he knew where they were, at least 11 out of the 13. Yeah. The reporter and a driver who was set up by Youngworth showed up at 2 a.m. in August of 2013. And a lady came peering into the car. And I guess in that neighborhood, like, if that happens, it's usually someone looking for drugs or a sex yeah. worker or um, something like that. But right. when the driver rolled down the window, he just said that Billy had sent them, which is William Youngworth III. Mm -hmm. So they went up to the fourth floor of a warehouse. The driver brought him to a room that had plastic bins on wheels, and he pulled out an oversized black cardboard tube. I picture the one in National Treasure <laughs> yeah. that they put the <laughs> declaration in. In it, he carefully removed Rembrandt's The Sea of Galilee and like unrolled Supposedly, it. Supposedly, right? Is this yeah. allegedly? Yeah. Okay. I mean, this was the deal made between the FBI and Youngworth to prove that the paintings were there and safe. Mm -hmm. Well, they could have been a fake though. Whatever. The reporter could see the frayed edges where the painting was cut from its frame and, excuse me, sorry, and Rembrandt's signature. It is theorized that Youngworth had Connors go ahead to make a public offer for the art's return. Hmm. So people think that they are working together because they were associates at the time, I guess. But we're going to move on to a different one. Joe Murray was the leader of the underworld in Charlestown. I'm from Mass, and I feel not from Mass. I'm from New England, and I feel like I should know how to say that town, but I might not have said it right. <laughs> it might be Charleston. Oh, yeah. Because most Massachusetts towns are not pronounced the way that they're spelled. Right. At some point, his name came up as a suspect for the heist. He was eyeballed from time to time by the FBI because Youngworth claimed that he had the paintings hidden in New York, that Joe Murray had the paintings hidden in New York. But unfortunately, Joe Murray was murdered by his wife in Maine in 1994. Like brutally murdered, I think. In the oh, 80s, like going back, so that's four years after the, the robbery. Yeah. In the 80s, he had IRA connections, um, which is the t Irish, Ireland, why can't I think of it? Irish Republican Army, Ugh, in case someone doesn't know. Um, he tried to smuggle guns to Ireland on the ship Valhalla, which was seized, and several IRA figures were arrested along with him. So he's had some trouble with the law in connection to the IRA. We'll get back to the IRA. The last known theory is that the heist was conducted by James Whitey Bulger. Mm -hmm. James Whitey Bulger was the notorious Boston mob boss of the mostly Irish Winter Hill Gang from the 70s to the 90s. He was able to run the Winter Hill Gang for so long because he received protection by being an FBI informant. William Bulger, or Billy, was um, a very, very well-respected politician, and he was on the Mass State Senate for 25 years. Is that his brother? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to talk about my dad for two seconds because when Billy was, part, was uh, in the State Senate, my dad was working in that building because he used to do before he did football stadiums and stuff. He used to do like PBS and he built the garden in Boston and whatever. Um, and some other, uh, like public buildings. Yeah. I actually think he might've helped build where my boyfriend went to high school, but I could be wrong anyway. And <laughs> 
he told me that he only told me this like two years ago, but he was, and he's probably listening right now. Hi dad. <laughs> Just going to tell you a story. If I say it wrong, correct me later. I'll fix it. <laughs> um, he would like be in newspaper articles in the Boston globe. Cause there was a writer uh-huh. that was like, who's, I don't want to put my dad's government out there, but they'd be like, who's so-and-so and what does he have to do with Billy Bolger and the Bolger or the Bolger brothers or whatever. So he wasn't involved in any way, but people yeah. thought he was. And he was yeah. like, I would pull up to work and there'd be two cops marking my parking spot for me. So it was safe for him to like, so he That's was like, so involved, but not involved. It was just rumors that he yeah. was involved with whatever was going on between Billy and, and James and, whatever. Um, and he said once that someone uh, came to him because they were writing a book about James, about Jimmy, I should call him Jimmy, but it was before Jimmy had died or been caught or anything. And people were still getting murdered. So he was like, no, I'm not, not going to talk to you. Cause you don't want yeah. your name out there. People are still dying. No, especially like in association with a gang exactly and especially whitey he was so violent my uncle was a boston cop so i wonder if like he saved your dad's parking space or something maybe (laughs) you know back in the early like 90s and late 80s yeah maybe that's like a past connection that we had my dad also met meryl streep like before she was famous and worked with her on like a PBS project and he has an Emmy and he was nominated for another Emmy at one point. My dad's cool, but I don't know. He probably has other stories that I don't know. He just likes to throw them at me like they're normal. And then I go, can you rewind for a second? (laughs) Tell me about your (laughs) White Hill gang connections, please. Thank you. And your Emmy. (laughs) That's Um, insane. Yeah. I I was so shocked when he told me all that. But it makes sense if you're in Boston. Again, Boston's small. Yeah. Amongst Whitey Bulger's rap sheet is a life of committing street crimes early in his life from growing up in Southie, which is South Boston. So he had the accent. He was first arrested at 14. He did stints in Alcatraz, Atlanta, Leavenworth, and Lewisburg for federal crimes throughout his life. And he even volunteered for experiments where the CIA would dose prisoners with LSD and other drugs so that he could get a shorter sentence. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And I think he was really paranoid towards the end of his life. And that was one of the reasons. That effects from LSD. Because LSD doesn't leave your body. So. Right. Probably cracked his neck weird one day and was like, I'm. (laughs) Yeah. Something's (laughs) happening. Super afraid. He was extremely prone to using violence. And he absolutely despised rats, not the animal, the people. (laughs) Yeah. Which I think is funny because he became an informant. Yeah. But he was like, I'm not a rat. Like he wasn't. But like ratting out. So typically you're very self-conscious about things that like you do yourself, you Mm -hmm. know, or something along the lines. Makes you more aware. Right. Well, and he was ratting out like the Italian mafia. It wasn't his own people that he would rat out he would take care of them on his own (laughs) yeah terrible if you watch black mass that's how it worked um not gonna get into his entire life of crime because it's extremely extensive and he did a lot of shit but i am going to mention that in the 1980s he began supplying weapons to the ira charles hill was a prominent art theft investigator at the scotland yard who believes that Bulger was involved with the theft. It is believed that Whitey offered the paintings to a friend in the IRA due to one of his shipments being intercepted. And some say they believe Bulger brought the art to Ireland, but not the IRA specifically. Mm -hmm. So there is a big chunk of believers who think the art is in Ireland. It's in Ireland, yeah. Um, There isn't any solid physical evidence to support this theory. The FBI in Boston had briefed Gardner officials that mob leader Frank So It's hard because I can't even tell you what language that last name is. It look I see it as Salami, but I know it's wrong. Salemi S-A-L-E-M-M-E. Salemi. Salem? Okay. Salemi. Like 
had been plotting a robbery and he often worked with Bulger. So stealing art to exchange for guns and military supplies was not a foreign idea to the IRA. This was a practiced tactic that they used a lot. Okay. Since Bulger was so violent and due to his FBI connections, he was able to be a successful mob boss for 20 years. And he often felt he deserved a cut from every major crime committed in Boston. And he had been denied a cut from a previous theft and killed the man that refused back in 1983 by shooting him in the head. So, so the theory Dang. is that this Frank Salemi, Salami, Salemi, was Salemi. plotting this robbery. And he often worked with Bulger. So even if Bulger wasn't directly involved, he would have believed that this is a big robbery. I deserve my cut. Right. Basically. And if you don't, I'll kill you. Right. But in 94, Bulger was tipped off by his friend, John Connolly, who is an FBI agent and like his handler in the FBI because they went to school together when they were younger. He grew up in South Boston that he was about to be arrested. So there was a lot of, I think they were both charged with like racketeering and a bunch of stuff like his FBI guy and himself. There's speculation that Bulger was hiding in Ireland with the IRA after he was tipped off. And when, when he was indicted for the murders and federal offenses, he was asked to leave and possibly left the paintings behind. So there's also belief that he took the paintings to Ireland while he was in hiding. And then he left them there when he left. Yeah. There was a supposed sighting of the Vermeer in Dublin in 2002 it's not a solid story it's like an fbi met some guy in a hotel room and he supposedly showed him the vermeer you know that's about all i know yeah um youngworth claimed so back to the original it's all they're all connected youngworth claimed that he knew that that was impossible but he wanted it he was claiming that because he wanted immunity so mm-hmm. another try a chip at bargaining to get protection. I don't know. Bulger was on the run for 16 years. He lived right out in the open in a house in Santa Monica with his longtime girlfriend. And they were arrested or he was arrested on July 6, 2011. With 48 federal charges, including 19 counts of murder. That's a lot. Dang. But he lived in California. He moved to California. He, that's where he ran. So okay. he was hiding out. And I think they just had like a fake name, but they were just living in a mansion in like San Monica. Yeah, pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah. And I think when they crashed it, there was like 30 guns and a bunch of money and drugs. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. Two years later, he was sentenced to 31 counts and was sentenced to life in prison plus five years. At this, and at this point, he's already old. Yeah. You know? He was born in 1920-something, I think, 28, or so he's old, <laughs> by 2011. Yeah, so it's like a life sentence. Yeah. Uh, on October 30th, 2018, Bulger is in a wheelchair due to hip injury. He was beaten to death at 89 years old with, by other inmates with a padlock in a sock, and his wow. eyes were apparently gouged out, and he was killed in his cell in West Virginia. Wow. So it's like, great, because a lot of families receive justice. You know, there's no more. Because even when he was in prison, there was fear. Yeah. Of, of if you see. He's still controlling he get, people on the outside. Right. Um, so there was finally like, we don't have to worry about him anymore. You know, if they wronged him in some way or whatever. Right. But the truth behind the art heist. Art heist? The truth behind the art heist has yet to be found. So there's no. Yeah justice for that and that's that's that what do you think who do you think did it i don't know like i could definitely see the whitey bulger it makes a lot of sense if he like took them to ireland like out of Mm -hmm. sight out of mind like get them away from the u.s because anywhere in the u.s if they're found like it can be traced back to you so the farthest away from the u.s that you can get it the better yep uh I could also see it being all, I could see it being like all amateurs, like somebody 
one of these things they paid, you know, two people to go in and get them. Mm-hmm. Like, I so if they're in Boston police uniforms, what if they were cops? You know, right? Like, what what if they were corrupt cops? Because sorry, but there's corrupt no, cops everywhere. Yes. Yep. What if they were corrupt cops? And they were paid off by just some rich Bostonian that wanted some of these artwork. You know, some of these pieces are like any of the pieces they just said, like, here's a chunk of money. I yeah. want, like, get me, go get me some artwork. And so they go in, they take 13 things, like random things, because they weren't specific, like, it wasn't specific as to what they wanted or what yeah. to take. Um, and they did that. I could also see it being some spoiled brat who like like some spoiled brat young kid that wanted to go in and just like do something like that like just to do it yeah Yeah. goes in steals like a bunch of paintings and stuff just for the thrill of it yeah you know just to get away with it so they could they realize that they could do it you know um they go in they visit the museum they understand the security protocols and stuff like that what if it was a past security guard or something who who like left the job uh, you know like in a negative experience or negative light left the job but he understood their processes or anything or what would drive the guard away from the panic button like right you'd have to understand that that was their process or that that's where the panic button is and only way that you can do that is if you have a lot of power, you've worked there before, or you studied it like yeah, through and through, you know? Yeah. I don't I don't know who I think did it. I think if it was an amateur, maybe not a dirty cop, but an amateur or someone that was just in it for the thrill, it's like they yeah. stole all the stuff and then they didn't know what to do with it. I think a gang is involved in some way. So I think like, even if they didn't orchestrate the thing, I feel like they would have been like, we don't know what to do with this art. Take it yeah. off of my hands and sell it to them. I or feel whatever. like if it was the gang, they would have been more meticulous as to what they're taking mm-hmm. and how they take it. Right. Because they would know, or they would have like done the research enough that I can't just rip this thing out of the frame or cut it out of the frame. Like I have to either take the frame or remove it from the frame. I have eight hours to do it, you know, until the next crew comes in. Right. I have the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and the fact that they rushed out of there doesn't make any sense either. Yeah. Well, it is also like maybe, maybe they were staking out, the building first and they saw the head of security go in there so maybe they rushed out because if the head of security comes back he's going to realize something's wrong right maybe or calls and the guards don't answer or whatever yeah that's true but so there is still yeah. threat of someone showing up yeah yeah i don't, I don't know. know i don't know i mean i just think that if it was a gang they would have taken more care and would have gone for specific things yeah it wouldn't it wouldn't because i mean if you're in a gang you don't need to add this next thing to your resume you know you have plenty on your resume yeah what's the point of going in like ruining 13 pieces of artwork or not ruining them but like stealing them and not being able to take credit for them and not being able to like like no one has seen those things no one has right. heard of those things or anything so like at least credibly that's why i feel like they might have gone to the ira somehow only because if if an amateur had stolen all that art it's been 30 years they might try to sell it or you know what i mean but then people are going to be like well look it's the sea of galilee so that's why i'm thinking some rich bostonian hired two randos to do it because there's only three witnesses right right if it's two corrupt cops and this guy, yeah, he probably has like a hidden room or a hidden basement where he has these art pieces where he only lets like elite people come down and like yeah. view them or whatever or see them. So it's only like his close circle yeah. knows about this. Um, 
and then those two other guys are obviously corrupt, they can't right. admit if they're corrupt police officers, they can't admit to it. Otherwise they get charged, you know, right. they, they're in a lot of trouble. Right. Um, and they were probably paid really well. Yeah. To come in and take these things. Hmm. Boston, take apart everyone's house. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. Anyone Honestly, with money. look for the secret rooms. You might find some other stuff though. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever right. see, really quick sidebar, do you ever see, I can't think of the name of it now. It's on Amazon Prime. The imposter that, nope. Yeah. Uh, oh. It's with David Tennant and he's, these two valet drivers work at a fancy restaurant and they have this habit of stealing nice cars. And like, if there's a home GPS thing, they hit home and they go and rob their house and come back and get okay, the car Okay, yeah. I have heard of that. Uh, I think I know what you're talking about. I don't know that I've actually seen the movie, though. I, like, don't want to give spoilers, but you should watch it. First of all, David Tennant is a genius. Absolute genius. Second, just the plot is really good. And I remember watching it. I watched it with my sister, and halfway through, I was like, I'm really stressed out. <laughs> like, I have, <laughs> like, ugh, like, it's very, yeah. very tense. And the tense, it doesn't, like, drip back down. It's just tense like the yeah. whole until the very end. And then you're like, okay, I can breathe now. Like, it's, I think I have seen yeah. that. It's a good, it's a good one. I always you watch movies and I never remember them. Yeah. I'll say one part. So they go to rob this guy's house, but there's, he's keeping a girl in his basement, like tied up in his oh. basement. So then they're like we have to help her but we have to we bring can't. the car back yeah it's yeah because then we have to admit that we're there or whatever yeah but then it, it just gets really like that's not the most intense part at all i but, feel like i've seen it but i will watch it again i know i kind of want to watch it again now that i've talked about it so just to wrap up not only is this the largest art heist in the world along with the biggest theft of private property in America. The Vermeers, the concert, I don't know why I wrote the Vermeers. Vermeers, the concert is now the world's most valuable missing piece of art. It's worth oh, wow. $200 million. Yeah. The Boston art heist is also one of the, one of the most costly FBI investigations. Yeah, not surprising. Yeah. A lot of people think it's still there in Boston, maybe in some rich guy's house. That's what I'm thinking. Some people think it's in New York. I think it's in Ireland. I'm just, I, I like the Ireland. I like stories about the IRA. I don't even yeah. really know what they, I need to be more educated about it. I just like the stories about it. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like they were fighting for good things. They just did it in such a brutal way. Yeah. Or it, they could be somewhere else. You don't know. They could have been no. sold on the black market and they're in, arkansas somewhere <laughs> like yeah they could be mansion. at the bottom of the ocean we don't know yeah um the museum at this point is just praying for the safe return of the art with the statue of limitations up these are irreplaceable works that are missing and or damaged and it is the main mm -hmm. concern the isabella stewart gardner museum is offering an award of 10 million dollars for any information leading to the recovery of the artwork but do they have that money? Remember the guy said they don't have any money. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe someone. Maybe, maybe it was like a lot of donors. I'm thinking yeah. there was a lot of donors. I was like, they must have had help. It's not going to be from yeah. ticket sales, but they no. have to have some type of anyone that cares really deeply about art and is invested in the Boston community and stuff. I feel like they would offer money if right. they had money to offer. Right. Yeah. Well, insane. if you've seen these lost works of art or know who might have them, please contact the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum directly at theft at Gardner. Wow. No, I can't spell at theft at Gardner org or by calling the director of security at 617-278-5114. And please feel free to email us at mrreticle at gmail.com. Follow us at Mr. Redical on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok, and leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't play with strangers. 
And don't trust your government. Don't step away from the panic button. And don't forget to vote today. Yeah. Woo, that was Sorry, fun. Gritty. I scared Gertie. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>